Hello, this is the Eiffel Overcast. I'm your host, Oliver Broadbent, and this is a semi-regular digest of matters, engineering, creativity, and practical philosophy. I'm really excited to bring you this episode today. It's an interview with journalist and writer JP Flintoff. I have a lot to thank JP for, because it was in a talk of his that I attended in summer 2016 that he challenged the audience to commit to taking the first step in a creative project we really wanted to do. Mine was to start a podcast, and thanks to him, laying down that challenge back then, here I am today editing episode 10 of the Eiffel Overcast. This interview is almost a meta-podcast, using a podcast to talk about creating a podcast, but really it is about a wide range of factors that influence the creative process, from valuing the skills that we take for granted to how improv techniques can be used to stimulate creativity. One of the fascinating things we get into is how becoming worried about climate change and peak oil inspired JP to help other people with their creative projects. Listening to JP's voice today while doing the edit four months after we recorded the interview, I'm reminded of just what an inspirational and encouraging person he is. He gave me permission to start my first podcast, and in this interview, he gives me permission to start a new project. And I hope that perhaps in listening to this podcast, you too might be inspired to start a creative project of your own. If you do, then let us know. I'd be delighted for, to hear from you. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy my interview with J.P. Flintoff. Hello, J.P. Hello. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I thought I'd like to start with a, a, a brief recap for listeners of how it was we met. Now, you were talking at the Idler Tent at Port Elliot Festival. Mm -hmm. must have been July last year. Yeah. Now, do you remember what the title of your talk was? It, no, <laughs> but it could have been How to Change the World. Something along... It sometimes is. Yeah, it seems plausible. Yes. And I thought that sounded very attractive, and I, and I went along to it. And you were talking about... Um, I, I felt like, with hindsight, motivating people to be creative, mm. um, and but actually getting on with their projects. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. And I think you finished with the line of something like, OK, so decide what the project is you want to do, um, figure out what the next step on it was, and now commit to the person next to you that you're going to do it. That's right. I mean, I, I'm, I really love being the person who gives everyone permission to do what they want to do anyway. So when I do a talk a bit like that, and it's at a festival and everyone's up for stuff, I, I think I probably asked you all to turn to your neighbour, and there's always that kind of, oh, God, why has he asked me to do that? But then everyone realises that their neighbour is actually quite nice. And you find yourself saying something that really matters to you, and everyone looks like a million dollars when they're doing that. And so I'm just standing there on the stage staring at lots of happy people. Dream, and they're, and they're, they're dreaming up dreams that they want to fulfil, isn't it? Yeah, they? which they're not very well... I mean, you know, they're not very distantly hidden. They're right in their back pockets already. They just needed someone like me to stand there and say it. So it's, it's incredibly easy for me to do that. And so my, my dream thing to do was to start a podcast. So I actually wrote that down and said that's the person next, next, to, uh, next to me. And then I, I rather cheekily then came up to you and said, well, this is what I'm going to do. Would you, be your, your, would you be my first guest? Which I imagine was holding you to ransom, really, because you didn't really have much choice. Actually, I, I, I love it when... It's not that often, but you came up. I think one other person on that event came up, but... Yeah, theoretically, everyone could have come up. Mm. So I, I always think it's a sign of someone's real commitment that they 
would bother to come and talk to me. So what I would say is, ta-da, it works. Well, and uh, that was back that was back in July, and now you are on the show, and this is episode 10. So um, you must have uh, really inspired something. So I'm very grateful. Well, thank you. I'm grateful that you're grateful. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, riffing on that uh, mutual uh, gratefulness, yeah. um, more broadly, the importance of getting started. You were saying earlier on that um, that's been an giving people permission mm. is something that's important. It is. And in, in the story that I was telling you, I was thinking about one of the things that led to me writing one of my books, and, and it was about my own very strong wish to do something really dramatic, which I slightly thought was, you know, saving the planet. And it involved me knitting a jumper. I know that sounds really ridiculous and, and non-sequitur, but however, just go, bear with me on this. Mm-hmm. And... Of course I know that I'm allowed to knit a jumper, and I had wool, and I had knitting needles, and I'd even done a bit of knitting in the past. But I found myself travelling all the way across London to this brilliant shop, which is sadly no longer there, and going in and asking Rachel Matthews, who's an artist, but then at that time ran a shop, what does she think about me knitting a jumper? And she basically just said, yes, I think that's a very good idea. So I travelled all the way back across London. It was about an hour and a quarter, because it's not particularly convenient. Mm-hmm. And uh, an hour and a quarter each way. And all I'd done was really ask someone for permission to do the thing that I wanted to do, and she just said yes. But she knew nothing about me. Full she knew I was completely incapable of knitting. Mm-hmm. But she just she could see that I wanted that yes. So I think that giving each other permission is a really wonderful gift. And so she did, and so I carried on, and I wrote the book, and so on. And I realised, looking back, that... It seems to be a thing that I'm okay at. I'm, I'm not bad at starting stuff. And, and I learned that because of some things that people have said to me over time. And one of the things I'm thinking of is a really wonderful woman who, who does some amazing things and co-founded the School of Life and then went on to set up another business. And she asked me to do something with her in that business, to design something. And I'm not a designer, I'm a writer by background. But she asked me to design something. And when we were having this conversation, she said, I'd love you to do it because, she said, because one of the things I love about you, she said to me, is that you're very good at putting out stuff even though it's not very good. <laughs> I knew what she meant. I think it was, it was a compliment. But what she meant was that I'm not constipated with fear that it's got to be perfect. Mm. And I know that that's true. Uh, happily, she, she thought that I sometimes am able also to deliver the goods. But, but I thought that was really interesting because I went oh right yeah no I'm, you're right that is one of my things I'm, I'm quite good at just knocking it out and hoping it'll be alright and then I can improve it so that I found in speaking to people that seems to be a really an important thing to get over mm. uh, maybe we um, we uh, always look for excellence in what we do a lot of people are motivated by that sort of excellence yes. and uh actually that can impede us and really we can actually get a lot more feedback maybe once we put it out there we yeah. know a lot more about what it is that we no I'm not explaining this very well but no I think that's great I think what you've just done actually is a perfect example of what we're talking about because if you think you've not explained it very well mm-hmm. then we can work out what you don't think you've explained very well and we can fine tune it right so what I think I've missed is um, this idea that you could try and work out every every tiny detail about the product or whatever it is you're coming up with, and then but but until you put it on the table and share it with somebody else, you might miss something massive. Totally, and and so then kind of being really meta again and and drawing attention to what's just happened between us in the last one minute. 
you put out something you didn't think was quite right. I, I, get, I said, have another go. You had another go. You look a bit happier now. I'm very happy. And we're, what we're really doing is, is constantly being open and spontaneous and willing to improvise. So it really, um, it really underlines the importance of another person in the creative process, mm. the, yeah. the, the stooge or the... Or the ally would, yeah. be, a, would be a more constructive yes, label. Yes, if yes. the stooge makes me feel bad, but if you call me your uh, ally, I'll go, yeah, no, I'm your ally, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, ally. Yeah. Yeah, so. But that's, that's a great example because I think, that, I think what happened in your head, I don't know what happened in your head, mm. tell me, maybe in a second, but when we think... Why would you choose that word stooge? Um, I think it's something that... Uh, um, oh, it's a word that a colleague of mine uses a lot okay. to describe uh, someone who you've got with you on the journey. Okay. So, so, okay, so maybe it's, I'm mis- misunderstanding it. But that idea of an ally or a supporter or a stooge or a, yeah. kind of a mucker or mm. a fellow traveller or someone, you've just got to have someone. Yeah. You yeah. have to have someone. Because... Um, and, and then the, the 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 product of those two people's work together then is mm. is, is huge. There's there's some uh, research that I read, a creativity research that I read some time ago that showed. I think it was in relation to the company Motorola. Might be wrong yes. about that, but uh, they they demonstrated that it was much more effective to work on people's ability to listen than it was to work on people's ability to be creative. So they they were working on the kind of management ability to listen to ideas from their employees mm. rather than individual innovation or creativity from people and that that had an overall positive impact on the kind of quality of creative thought that came out of that business i'm really not surprised because if if the people reporting to those managers know that they'll be listened to then they open their mouths yeah and things start to happen but if you don't feel that you've got that opportunity you just sit and wait and sit and wait and nothing happens and the management think what is a hopeless and uncreative and 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 this is uh, this has been one of the things that's happened with the podcast i did i've done the first few had no idea what i was doing but made a go of it got some feedback of people uh, mm. along the way and uh, things like the levels being wrong and all that kind of thing and yeah. that at least i found those you know i've got momentum now yes. and finding those things out as i go yeah. rather than being completely racked by it's funny how the focus changes in a in a thing like what you're talking about we um we worry about a certain type of part of the project yeah. and then we get okay at that bit. Yeah. Our skills are, are, are quite good, whatever the yeah. project is. And so our focus shifts to something else, like maybe less about the, you know, are you getting the levels right, but actually paying attention to what the content is. Or, mm. and, and then after a while they go, yeah, but I've done that kind of content before, I want to do something new. Mm. So it's kind of endless chase for something new. Yeah. And, and the way in which our minds very quickly become accum- accustomed to what we already know and start taking it for granted and not loving it. Right. And that, I think that's another element of, of what we were talking about before you started recording. What I think is a great skill if you're, if you're trying to do creative work of any kind is to keep on being able to fall in love with whatever the thing is even when you've got used to it and a bit bored. Yeah. Because you're constantly trying to look with fresh eyes mm. at for want of a better term, all of your resources, yeah. whether they're your skills or your, your equipment or anything, and going, wow, how can I use this? Wow, how can I use this? And I've noticed that if people can do that, they can truly find, literally find value in manure. Right. Um, and, and I've got a beautiful photograph upstairs of a woman who's holding a composting toilet and looking really happy. 
she has got the container that's going to allow her to make real use of other people's poo. Right. And if she can do that, we can all do it. We can all find value in anything. So um, this is something I think you were focusing a lot on in, in your book, How to Change the World. Um, it, it, what, you know, constantly looking at what you've got and mm. what you're able to do. Yes. And draw on, draw on, draw on that stuff. Yes. Uh, as, a, as both a, a source of inspiration, but also as, as something to... You don't have to be perfect. Every, you, you can already do lots of things. Yes, it, it, absolutely. And, and it's about it's, a, it's something to do with this, the art of capturing a moment mm. and seeing the value in that moment. So that if you think of um, a particular process and yeah. a problem that you have with that process and how you've managed to solve it. Yeah. At the moment when you're still pleased with having solved it and you've not left it behind as something you've taken for granted, yeah. that's when you're in the best possible position to teach people about it, to sell it, to make it your business. That's why entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs because they, they see a problem, they find out how to fix it and they sell that. Right, right. And essentially, anything that we're doing that's creative is, is, is in some way being an entrepreneur. It's just not necessarily about making cash out of it. Um, in the spirit of um, uh, creativity and improvisation, which I know we're going to get into later on, uh, we said we weren't going to cut this if something came up. I, th- I believe somebody's doing some carpentry in the background, which I'm getting really strong. I'm, I'm probably listeners, you're hearing it out there. Is that, I take the headphones off, is that happening in... There, there are people over at the road, I'm afraid, who are later in the month, not this afternoon, are going to be demolishing a building. Oh, great. Okay. Do you so, want to... Do you want to I'm, I'm happy unless um, unless we. Um, uh, I don't think it's stopping us. No, I think I think listeners will learn to enjoy the tap 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 of a, of jolly hard work over there, where they're going to eventually knock down an old Victorian vicarage. And, and, and I think that uh, they should be allowed to carry on with their work. And yeah, yes. okay. So and my uh, invitation to the listener would be yeah. to think: How could you possibly find that even more valuable than a podcast in which there's no tap tap tapping? Deal. Okay. You hear that, listeners? That's your task. Yes. Right. Okay. So carrying on. Yes. Um, I wonder if you can recap for us your sort of uh, brief CV of the mm. 10 or so different things uh, that you have done in, in, in the, um, with the aim of really understanding different people's stories. Yes. So I, I will keep it as short as possible. I worked as a journalist, and one of the things I loved most as a journalist is going into a world and writing about it from the inside. And so I, I really did work as a minicab driver for some time, you know, sitting in the cold at night with the engine turned off because I didn't want to waste petrol. I did work as a bin man, getting muck from people's bins in my ear. I, I worked cleaning the windows on Canary Wharf, where it takes half an hour for the little um, vessel that we were in to go from the top to the bottom. So if a storm's coming in, you're in big trouble. Um, and you lose sight of the soap flakes as they drop spinning down into, into oblivion. The yes. So these sort of things are insights that I could never have had if I hadn't done the job. I also um, went into... Some of it was sort of mucking about just because I thought it would be entertaining. So I did some boxing and I'm completely not the right build to be a boxer. But but I wanted to see what these worlds are like from the inside and write about them mm-hmm. with with real empathy for the people who do them and also insight for the people who I was writing about who would never do them. So a lot of these were for the Financial Times where a particular kind of demographic mm-hmm. never going to be window cleaners on Canary Wharf. So I was trying to say that this is a world and these yeah. are people who, who you interact with. 
and I I really just found it incredibly interesting mostly but also sometimes moving and inspiring to to engage with people who had these incredible skills and and depth and experience that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't tried something right and and um, that empathy only comes from doing it yourself I think it can come from talking to someone but yeah. most of the time if I sat down with someone who makes uh, who makes a living by emptying bins yeah very probably I would edit myself so that I wouldn't ask them about that because I'd make up some story in my head that they didn't want to talk about it which right. is that's their business so I might not even ask if I did ask they would have to be willing to honestly tell me about the time when some bastard left glass in the bin bag and it cut into their thigh right. but actually when you're walking behind someone and he's telling you that story because you're both in a hurry to empty the bins on that street yeah. it's just more real and then you also can get your own stories like you might cut your own leg Yes, I, and that getting someone's unverifiable goo, uh, sort of coffee grounds, mushroom sauce, don't know what it was, in my ear, that really make, brings it home. So, and it was a wet day. I couldn't clean my ear. My hands were filthy. That's really, really rich experience. So um, how did you get into, um, I guess, trying to help other people um, get creative? Probably it comes from that thing that we were talking about with the... The, the, the storytelling and then be, becoming very worried about climate change about 12 years ago it was not just climate change but also oil eventually going to run out it doesn't matter how long it is it will one day and thinking what's going to happen then because if we're all dependent on oil for everything then it's going to be a big collapse and there was lots of very apocalyptic stuff on the net then about peak oil probably still is but I was just I found that I was the only journalist who ever used those words in combination yeah and I just panicked, and I thought, what can I do to save the planet? And so I started trying to do lots of things to change other people's minds. And I realised that, that I was going to have to reinvent my lifestyle. So I was going to have to grow my own food, which I did, make my own clothes, blah, blah, blah. And I, I did that and started from a place, place of fear, yeah. which motivated me to do something as opposed to not do something. And when I started making my own clothes, I just realised it made people laugh. Like a man of my background, you know, I worked on the FT, I interviewed all these incredibly clever and intelligent and famous people, and I'm sitting there knitting jumpers, and it didn't make any sense to people, so it made them smile. I thought, what? Like, I could have been offended that they were smiling, and then I thought, no, that's great, because if they think that my struggle to save the planet is funny, they're more likely to listen than if I'm... Um, Lecturing, so I, I started to make the, the central bit the clothes making, yeah. not the panic. So you smuggle in the message about the planet while talking about the difficulties of making a shirt. I mean, if you, you're not wearing one of these today, but this kind of shirt with a collar and this thing called a stand, which I didn't know is called a stand, yeah. this is a placket. And I'm right. trying to work out how to fit a placket to the rest of your sleeve. It's great vocabulary. It, it is, and I didn't know the vocabulary, I didn't know how you do it. So Having to work it out was the most fantastic engineering job. Mm. It's a 3D puzzle. Mm -hmm. In what order do you put together a shirt? I didn't know. I didn't mean trained. But I did it eventually, and I was just so happy. And, and 3D geometry, which yes. was you know, complicated to work out. And, and how finely it's really calibrated. I, I probably thought that, you know, you can get a few millimetres wrong and it'll still look right. You can't. You right. really can't. So tracking that back you've um you, you sort of own kind of concern and, and journey around yes thinking about what what to, what can you personally do around climate change yes ended up in a creative project yes that you followed 
and then and then your sort of evangelism to other people. So I so I wrote a book about it called So Your Own, and yeah. and I was invited because my publisher was very clever and got me invited to places to. I was invited to talk about it here and there, yeah. and I realised how much people liked listening. Some mad sort of journey that I'd been on. And I thought, also, I really enjoy the talking. So mm. I started teaching at the School of Life how to make change happen mm-hmm. based on my thing, but no one has to make any clothes. And then I started uh, to run classes like How to Change the World, and the School of Life asked me to write a book on that topic, so I did, and then that was published more widely. I got more, in- more invitations to, more, to talk more about it. But um, we were talking before the recording started about something really important that happened to me in this area of creativity when I was researching How to Change the World, and that was when I discovered impro, yeah. theatrical improvisation, which most people don't expect to be a thing that you would discover when you're researching a book like that. But I, I read it by a genius called Keith Johnston. I then went on to meet and train with Keith, and I learned so much from impro games. Mm-hmm about how we change as human beings depending on everything, including where we look, how we blink, how we position our bodies relative to other people, um, what kinds of utterances we make about us or about them. Everything changed. And it wasn't because I wanted to become a theatrical improviser and go on stage all the time. I like doing that occasionally. What I really like are the games and what I learn about myself and other people. So I've done some training in clowning uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and it was it, it was probably one of those pieces of training that broke me. You know, it's you've broken down to a pulp and yes. then built back up again. It was over it was over two or three days at Bristol Swing and Circus Fest. Bristol, I'll get the name right now. Bristol Swing Festival, where they do a lot of circus. What were the bits that broke you? There was. Um, Extended eye contact uh, uh, yeah, yeah. with people, and there yeah. was. Um, we had to do this thing where we would stand in front of a room. We all had to do it. We knew it would all be our turn. Ten people sitting in two rows of five, and you had to stand in front of them and acknowledge everybody one at a time, just share a, sh- a shared moment with them, move on to the next person, pause move on to the next one and, and then the, the, the teacher if, mm. he, if he saw if he saw you smirking he'd say drop it leave it leave, leave the smirk let it go mm. and, and would keep you focused on task and you all you thought in advance how am I going to do this you know I'm just going to count in my head to 30 or whatever I know I've done enough time there and, and he would spot all these techniques until you really somehow yeah you had nothing left and yet and then what you had was this intense connection mm. with that person so there was there were simple things like that and then and then playing around with um, only having one word to use mm. which I'm, uh, uh, but you can say it in whatever way you want and what story can oh, you compare? I love this this is very similar to what Keith was teaching us so one of the things he had us do was spend as much time as possible not advancing the action so if you're looking for something You've got to carry on looking for it. You can't find it. Right. You can't do something that's different. You have to carry on looking for it. You can't sort of try on a hat. Mm-hmm. So you have to find different ways to make looking for something interesting. Yeah. Change the emotion. Um, look for it in a different place. Look for it with your eyes. Look for it with your tongue. Look for it with your ears. You know, whatever you need to do, just make it interesting. Yeah. So it's very like clowning. And also when he mentioned the eye contact thing, that reminded me of a game... Keith sent us one at a time in front of each other, a big, yeah. biggish audience, 
and everyone in the audience was given explicit permission to stand up quietly and leave as soon as they were bored. And most of us, the average amount of time that anyone could keep half of the audience, because after half of the audience, it's just too much pressure. Yeah. Well, how long do you think? A minute? I'm going to leave a tiny little space for the listener to guess what sort of time. Listener, guess now what time you think, on average, we could, we could um, keep the attention of half of the audience. It was 15 seconds on average. A lot, of, a lot of people couldn't keep half the audience for more than five seconds. If the audience is honestly allowed to leave, because they could see you're faking, they could see your neediness, they could see you, didn't, you weren't interested. Right. So but once you, you can get up there on the stage and not need anything from them, just be natural, be happy. Yeah. So um, people are drawn into that. Mm. It's right. magnetizing, isn't it? And that's, I learned a lot from that then from doing talks or I run a lot of workshops mm. and uh, yeah, the ability to walk into the, the space and be present and everyone to suddenly be on you. And you never have to raise your voice. No. The other people go shh for you. Because yes. you can just, it's um, lovely. I, I like to raise my arms and and uh, and just uh, and all of a sudden, just, and oh, that's great. That reminds me of a thing I read about someone who was an amazing actor, who who would go on and raise one arm, and then when he got the silence, he closed his hand, and put it down, as if I've got the noise in my hand now, so I will continue to speak. And what a brilliant idea! I haven't yeah. tried that. I must I try that one yeah. day. I will try that. Um, let me know how it works. I'm just enjoying the silence and the helicopter that's uh, circling mm. above. I hope that person's all right. It's an air ambulance. Oh, yeah, we seem to be a major route for air ambulances. So about that. We've got a lot of noises for you. That's, no, it's great. It's rich. It's very rich. Yeah. Uh, so, um, riffing on the theme of, uh, of improv, yeah. something I try and do with people in, 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 in creative design classes is yeah. is get them to act out mm. the problem that they're, yes. they're encountering and it's something that uh, we, if we only have a small amount of time to deal with they don't always find easy to do straight away yes. but I find that once they get into it it reveals whole new areas of the design problem they're trying to deal with mm. so you get them actually literally just to walk down if they've got to cross a bridge say we're doing a problem about designing a bridge yes. getting them just to imagine them taking the journey across the river yes um, you they might do something like they might put their hand on a handrail which um, hadn't appeared in the drawings at all before no and then the other person watching goes hang on a sec what are you doing you're you're, you're holding on to handwriting. Like, what does it feel like? No, yes. It's timber, or it's steel, it's, you know, or it's, you know. Yeah. Uh, or I, I'm looking, what are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at the view. Well, we haven't considered the view before from the middle mm. of the bridge, so it's almost like acting it out. Because you don't know where the person's gaze is going to be. I right. mean, if you're, if you're walking on a particular kind of path, mm -hmm. because it's a bit uneven surface everyone's going to be looking at the ground yep. if, if you're walking on a different kind of path they have the time to look up at the sky and admire the view so I'm absolutely with you on that do the thing it don't just it, talk about it it brings it alive yeah and, and maybe it's a little bit like what we were talking earlier on about you know starting yes. acting it out improvising is a way of starting definitely um, I was um, 
related to that theme, I can't remember what I was going to ask you now. Gosh, yeah. I'm sure it was very That was our deal, wasn't it? Yeah. You were so, going to go wherever you want yeah. and remember or forget things. So, yeah, I, I do remember that. I, want, um, I think there's something really important about that shared space and shared mm. attention with mm. people, which we start to... I feel like we're losing it uh, yeah. as people become... Uh, more engaged with, say, their phones or their yeah. computers or whatever, and we don't. And I feel like that creativity builds when you yeah. have that um, ping pong game of ideas. I think you're so right, and I also wonder whether there's it's something that some people just aren't attuned to. They don't mm. get it. They simply do not understand because they haven't. I'm one. Of, I was one of those people who. I just thought, what are you talking about when someone talks about it? It's not just you, it's not just me, it's, there's a third entity, which is the relationship. Mm. I thought this sounds like such mystical, like, what are you talking about? But it's so true, because if, if you did that ex- exercise in the clowning school, mm-hmm. you know the importance of the gaze. If mm. I never have your... If you'd done this whole interview without once looking at me, I'd feel really depleted now. And I would just... Would, I'd have given up. Mm. And so... It's so valuable once you notice that there is a relationship. Yeah. And there's a relationship between everyone. I mean, we, we've already made a thing about the relationship between us and, the, the, at the moment, only theoretical listener. Yeah. But when the listener's listening to this, that person, hello person, that person is real. Yeah. And so we're conscious of that relationship. We're also slightly conscious, possibly a little bit irritated, by our relationship with the banging man across the road. Um, I'm, I'm much happier about the relationship with the banging man across okay, the road okay. uh, um, since, since we acknowledge them in the, in the room. In fact, we're sitting opposite each other. To my left is the microphone, hello microphone, and therefore the listener, I feel, is just there. Yes. And, then, and, and the carpenter um, is, is over there. It becomes so much more real when you, when you acknowledge it mm. as a thing. Mm. As a, and rather like you're saying, there's the handrail, it's like there is the microphone and there is the banging man. This is something which in... Uh, so I've just come back from San Francisco. I've been hearing a lot about collaborative technologies for for working together and in design and in, in engineering. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things where I, I, I I'm struggling a little bit with yeah. the 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 we have all this greater interconnectivity between yes. people working on say the design of a bridge or a building. And you'll have an architect team over here, an engineering team over here. And the, the panacea is this side where we all come together and we'll collaborate online. Yeah. And I just, I just don't feel it yet. I don't feel um, that I can get anywhere near the same level of um, uh, collaboration as I would do around a shared piece of paper or even a shared, even if we were looking at a shared iPad on the table yeah. where we're both kind of like trying to... Um, There's it, something really strong about that relationship which is which is obviously... It, it's really obvious when you're in the room together. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're not quite in the room together, some part of the bond is, is dispersed or weakened. And I think it's got something... It's, it's analogous to the, the difference between being sent an email by one person and being sent an email that's sent to lots of people. Because as soon as there are lots of people in the CCs, Mm -hmm. you go, well, it's not really for me. I don't need to answer that one. It's diluted. It's definitely diluted. Even though it's absolutely from the sender and it's absolutely to you, you just know that the attention isn't there, the gaze isn't there, the strength of the bond isn't there. And it also weakens over time. So if you get loads of those, you think, what am I, some kind of... Sort of fodder for your for your email to drive that out. You you want mm. to be acknowledged and, and recognised. 
And yet, I'm, I'm convinced that there are ways, if we're more mindful about it, to, to make the very best of this. Yeah. And to use the best of digital technologies to try to understand people and to address proper audiences properly. So right at the moment, one of my most exciting areas of creativity is trying to, trying to design a, a kind of gamified, interactive training of the sort that I did at the School of Life that I'm going to deliver to people all over the place. But I'm really, really enjoying and fearful about how to really personalise it, mm. how to truly make it interactive. So if someone is taking part, they don't feel like I've suddenly lost, they're not being seen. I want them to yeah. feel seen in a real way. And I'm, I'm really excited about the ways in which some of these technologies do allow you to personalise things. It's uh, As somebody who works in, in, in training some of the time, um, the, you, you quickly realise the limits to how many people you can reach if mm. you're just doing things face to face. There's a sort of there's a desire and the possibility with all the technologies to yes. to reach many people. The whole world. The whole world, yeah. and that's very you know that's very 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 appealing. I mean, I, I like to joke that um, Socrates didn't need e-learning. No. Um, but I mean, that's a, that's a quite rather easy thing to say. Um, uh, who knows what he might have made of it though? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I completely agree with the sort of sentiment of how to do something. Maybe it's using a technological approach to meet, reach more people, but then yes. how to make that, how to make that really personal. I think there's going to be something really fascinating that happens to the human mind, and I don't know whether it's even possible, um, given the time that it takes for evolution, but to even to be able to think about our relationships with with multiples. Mm. and with with unnumbered and faceless multiples mm. in a way that we've never had to do before as human beings. I wonder, though, if that we're, we're probably being forced to do it more quickly than uh, evolution is allowing us to, yeah. to, to change, yeah. uh, allowing us to evolve. Yes. Um, and I think that might be causing a whole bunch of psychic I'm sure it is. Psychic problems for people. Well, I could be sitting up there looking at my my flow charts of how I'm going to do these things, and I suddenly get this massive wave of nausea, thinking Mm. I feel so overwhelmed even thinking about how this is going to play out. And at that point, we come back to one of the things that we talked about before you started Mm. recording. It's like, I have to draw a picture. Mm. I have to lie on the floor and actually notice my breathing. I have to be in my body, Mm. physically aware of the fact that I'm one human being alive right now, and all that other stuff is just a lot of mental chatter. So we would. Um, I really have the impression we probably should have started recording about half an hour earlier because we were also talking yeah. talking earlier on about um, Matthew Crawford's books, mm. the case working in your hands and the and, and the world beyond your head, and um, those those books remind me to sort of recenter myself in mm. the physical space that, yeah. that that I'm in in proximity to other proximity to other people and um, one, after reading one of those books I, I decided just for a bit of time just to come off Facebook not using Facebook mm. so just a li- little bit less and I'm not somebody who usually suffers from depression but I, I felt I realised I felt um, a bit depressed and lonely um, without Facebook yeah oh it didn't it didn't lift you up in the short run okay I realized, then afterwards I like, you felt like alone or like yeah, isolated what's just happened hmm I still see the same same people, I see the same people at home, same yeah. people at work. But there there was this level of pseudo company, yes, and pseudo interact. It's more than less of depression, more sort of loneliness. Yeah, yeah. I realised 
actually I'm not really in contact with those people, it just gives me the impression. Mm. And then what it forced me to do is actually arrange to see some people. Yes. And yeah, spend yeah. some time with them. And that suddenly felt much, much better. Yeah, and, and I think it, even just the noticing the, what was happening to yourself would be therapeutic. Just like, mm. oh, look, I'm me and I'm having this experience. Mm. Just, oh, wow, I've noticed. Because so, it's so easy just to slip into the mindlessness of it all. Yeah. I think there's a kind of a, there's a, there's a word that feels like it's at the back of all of the things I'm interested in, which is mindfulness. It's mm. Unfortunately, it's somewhat devalued and cheapened at the moment. Mm-hmm. But that, like, oh, yeah, look, I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm doing a podcast. How yeah. interesting. And, and just noticing it again and going, oh, right. I think we can be mindful and have a good laugh. We can mm-hmm. be mindful and be in conversation. We don't have to be sort of pretending to be in a yoga class with the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. Um, but being mindful is quite good. And I think, it, um, I think it's going to help people... Um, I think it's going to help people think more creatively because often you need to be aware of what's happening in order to sort of think of yes. an alternative. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Crawford writes uh, quotes from, I think, actually, I think you did as well in your, in your book, from Iris Murdoch, mm. who, um, I've never read anything by Iris Murdoch, but everyone else I'm reading seems to be quoting her work, so I therefore right. must get involved, um, around actually look, uh, taking your attention away from yourself and towards the situation mm. you are in. Yeah. Because only at that point can you start to really then make decisions about that. And, yes. And then decide to do something differently. It, it's a really um, helpful thing, I think, also because it helps to remove the ego. Yeah. Because if I'm thinking about, am yes. I doing this well? Yes. Rather than just going, what's happening here? Mm. What's John Paul up to now? Mm. Look, he's making a bit of a mess of that thing. Poor chap, he'll work out how to make it better. And and just keeping an eye on the situation rather than being obsessed with myself, which comes us back to, back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning. The kind of, I don't think we used the word perfectionism, but that right. that fear of putting something out. So um, I'd, I'd like to, in the, in the last part of this discussion, um, move towards uh, this idea of analogue skills, which we were talking about briefly again earlier on about. Yes. But for listeners, it's a, a theme I've been interested in recently, which is what we used to be able to do before our, um, our smartphones uh, uh, came into our lives. So, um, uh, because I'm, I, have a, a, I have a theory that um, some of those skills might have been useful mm. before uh, and, and we'll, we would, it would be a shame to lose them, actually maybe more of a shame. We yes. might actually lose something, some of our humanity. Yeah. And if our evolution doesn't catch up with us quickly enough, um, it might turn out that those skills were quite quite handy. So there's a couple I wanted to mention and discuss with you. The first is um, photography, um, taking, taking photographs uh, with actually film. Mm. Now I don't know if you use a film camera or... A I don't at the moment but I still have my grandfather's old camera and I used to use it and I used to develop my own pictures and and also not get good results. Yes, exactly. That's one of the problems with old camera technologies. You take a photo, maybe two months later, get it developed, and mm. then you go, well, I don't know what I was trying to do with that shot, but it didn't no. work. So in terms of learning it, it's probably quite a slow feedback loop. But when you were saying earlier on, you were talking about um, the attention you give people. Mm. I've been away this weekend, and I took a film camera with me, and only had about 12 exposures left. 
And I really made a point of finding situations to take a picture of. I said, right, the three of us together, this is a nice moment. Let's take one picture mm. and let's capture that. Let's capture that moment. Yes. And um, so for me, there's, a, there's a, uh, an analogue skill around uh, having fewer options. Um, having, yeah, uh, totally. Having, in that time, instance, fewer photographs or fewer songs to listen to. Yes. Or, uh, fewer friends to look up at any one time and then valuing that moment more. Oh, completely, yeah. And the, the restrictions give you so much more sense of how valuable it is. I mean, just imagine if you only had 12 more shots on Instagram. Mm. Uh, how would you use them differently? Um, also, raw materials. I, I went through this phase when I was being very, very green and everything was about saving the planet. I was making all my own sketchbooks out of scrap paper. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to get really extreme because I thought if I, I actually loved my sketchbooks, I tried to emulate moleskin and I put little end papers made out of ancient maps and I, I even did the moleskin thing where you have an elastic band that holds the book yep, together, yep. all of that stuff. And, um, and then I thought, how could I make something sort of beautiful in the way that I found those beautiful out of the worst possible materials? Mm. So, I, so what I thought at the time were the worst possible materials were those the particular brown manila envelopes that you get from either the tax office or the bank yes yeah. and so i used uh, the blue and white bank ones so i used blue and white from the bank brown from the tax office and made sketchbooks entirely out of those and that's a really tough constraint but i love those books so much and the opportunities if you use white pencil on a brown piece of paper it can look quite beautiful and i loved that constraint and all of those all of those things that you do with your body and your physical skills are really really constrained so I rejoice in them I just you know, make it even more of a constraint draw with your eyes shut so actually those those restricting options uh, can actually augment well I mean I think that's quite a well-established principle of, yes. of, of restricting options augment um, creative yes motivation and, and output but I guess identifying here that a lot of what, what the digital tools give us is infinite infinite possibilities. So where do you start? Yeah. Too much. You look at my phone and like, I can make a movie now. And I can also illustrate and send a picture to everyone I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. I can and their friends. Yeah. Yeah. I can record everything, all my thoughts and everything. It's like, it feels like I've just been stripped bare just by staring at all the apps. Mm. And so I don't know where to start. Being locked in a room with one pencil and a sheet of paper would be bliss. So the, the, the next of these um, analogue skills I'm interested in is, is how we communicate with each other. And uh, I've, I've thought about um, the idea of, say, only communicating by post for a month or so and see what mm. happens. Sounds like, quite a, sounds like something you might do. I don't know if, if you have, but um, maybe that's something to try. But um, uh, I noticed at the bottom of your email footer, you said, uh, I'm trying to be better at email. Yes. And then you have a nice description um, of, of, what you, of your sort of, I guess, uh, charter for yes. communication. Would you, would you explain a little bit more about the motivation behind that and what, what some I of the things got are? So, uh, well, because of the cheapness of email, it's mm. very easy to email. Mm. I, I get way too much. Uh, another, someone who I do some work with quite a lot, accidentally copied me in on a reply that she sent to someone else saying, John Paul should probably get a PA. <laughs> so I realised that my email <laughs> replies were not, were not very, um, they weren't up to scratch. And then I thought, but actually, I, I can't make my whole life 
running around to satisfy other people's emails because mm. I'll never, you know, I'll never do anything. So I thought I've got to have some sort of terms of engagement. Mm. And my web designer is a brilliant guy, and he said he's got something like this. He sent me his version. I rewrote mine. And it said, mm. I think it says, and I've forgotten because I wrote it a while ago. I think it basically says I'll try to keep things short. I'll tell you if a reply is necessary, so then they don't have to reply. Um, I'll not add attachments. I'll put it in the thing if I can. Um, I, I don't always answer very quickly, but I will if I can. Mm. And if you do the same, that's fine by me. Mm. Right. Yeah, no hard feeling. Yeah, and you had something in there about, I, I will assume... I'll assume the best, not the worst. Yeah. That's right. That, yeah, that, that was a big relief, because then I thought, I never need to answer anyone. <laughs> and they know that I'm not being malicious. <laughs> then you don't get this sort of um, quick response, which begets another response. Yeah. And, and then what I find, I'll be completely honest, what I, I agonise over writing to people sometimes, because I just think about misinterpretation. And, yes. Uh, uh, but if you can somehow go, well, like... Look, folks. Yeah, I generally, you know, I'm a nice guy. I generally mean the right thing. Yeah, as a sort of, uh, as a sort of disclaimer. I mean, it's not to say that there isn't an art to using words. Carefully. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I'm thinking about adding a video to that page as well, just to make it even more human. Yeah. Say, look, you know, it's only me. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want not to be ruled by email and use it as much as I can, and I, I you know, I'm going to do my best. Hope I, you'll do the same. Yeah, I think that's and, and it's a nice contract, and probably I think most people will be relieved by reading that. I get a lot of people saying how much they like it. I've been thinking that actually writing the lo- the long form email, which almost seems, feels like mm. something from the early noughties or late nineties. Yes. Um, I wrote somebody a long form email uh, a, a couple of months ago, and a couple of other friends actually similarly, and, and they don't know what to do with it uh, because mm. they they receive it. They've told me this. They receive yes. the long email. I'm talking about something that's several screen lengths long yeah, yeah. that you might have put on a piece of paper once yes. um, you write it down and then um, because it's so long um, they feel like it warrants a proper response yeah so they don't answer for ages they think, I need to write him an absolute you know yeah. war and peace back yeah exactly and and then you don't and then no. and you don't hear anything well one of the things so Pete my web designer is is very very logical thank goodness and and he says that there are sort of two forms of stuff in your email one of them is information mm-hmm. no no action required another one is action required mm-hmm. so i don't do this but he says digital information mm-hmm. um action required and he's a couple of requests so however long it is i can just stare happily at all the information don't do anything about it and then at the end so it's, it's also quite related to so that's a kind of an engineering approach, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's maybe also a marketing approach. So the marketers might send you an absolutely epic email, but the clear call to action, you know, yeah. buy now. Yeah. And I think if we know exactly what we want from someone, yeah. and we say at the end, you know, these are the choices, will you do? Then they get it. But I, you probably also get those emails that say things like, blah, 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 I'm doing all this, blah, 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 I'm struggling with this, blah, blah, blah. lots of them. And what do you think? I don't know. What do I think? Yeah. I mean, I think wonderful. But what do you want me to think? Like, what do you want me to do? And how can I help? Right. And so, when people send an email that just says, "What do you think?" I just, I get, I'm sort of slightly depressed. Right. Because it suddenly puts a lot of burden. What do they want? It puts a lot of burden on you. Yeah. 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 Um, there's so uh, I, I definitely think there's a, a consciousness around how we communicate and mm. the the the. Um, 
our, our habits and the burdens that we put on other people yes I think is 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 a skill to uh, mm. uh, to, to maybe put in the in the mix uh, uh, last one I wanted to mention was uh, and I've mentioned this in previous podcast episodes is map reading and sense of place so when I to come here I use the London A to Z mm-hmm. to help me find uh, a route and I've, I've discovered recently that um, but you pay more attention mm. to the city definitely and to the places around you actually I noticed something unusual about your street which it has unusual numberings or I've never seen a street that has well never really I don't think so um, wow we're very special in this street. Yeah, but but actually pay, paying a, paying attention to mm. you actually have to plan a route and then spot where you're going and then you get lost and you notice things. Yes, yeah, I I, I absolutely agree with that and I like also for for similar reasons to vary the route. So take the other side of the road, or to um, you were mentioning take different tra- forms of transport even along the same route. Everything looks different from this from the top deck. Mm. Or from from a low bicycle when you're practically on the tarmac, or yep. you know, it's all interesting if you keep noticing. Rather like you were saying with the design, that you have to walk across the bridge and then you notice things. But I, why do you think it's important to keep noticing? Because then I know that I'm alive. Right. Otherwise, I might just be in some replay yeah. version. I might be dead. So I. I, I um, one of the places that I work in the mornings, I see people walking past. Um, I, it could be the same person every time, but it, it, it's near London Bridge, and I see them pour out the station, all walking in the same direction. And I, I, I wonder about their sort of experience of life. Mm. Uh, they might be listening. If, if you want to listen, hello. Yes. Um, uh, I'd love to hear from you. But so yeah. t- tell me this. What, what are you thinking about when you go down the same route every day? And um, but this is a question for the listeners, and I don't think we'll get any immediately. But you know, what do you think about when you walk down the same same route? And wouldn't it be good for you to to vary that? Well, maybe just possibly, those people that you're seeing are listening to your podcast, a okay. different episode every day. Yeah, exactly. I'd better up, up the output. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I, I'd, I'd like to kind of draw to a close with, uh, with uh, seeking your permission. Mm. Uh, as you gave me permission in July to, by inviting me to um, uh, write a, start a podcast, um, I think I'd like to write a book. So I want to seek your permission to, to write a book around, I think, around these analogue skills that we were talking about. Would you like to elaborate any more and then I can give you even greater permission? Yeah, sure. So um, I think that um, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a technophobe. I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer by training and I'm really fascinated by designing technology to fix stuff. But I'm also increasingly concerned that the technology that we have around us is kind of taking us for a ride. Mm. It is has a sort of there's, people can make a lot of money out of us being more engaged in our phones and our, our iPads and whatever it happens to be or being able to just sit in a room and talk to a computer in the air and it will order stuff for you without you even having to without you having to experience any physical pain whatsoever I mean not I mean endure any sort of I can have whatever I want by looking it up on Amazon and bringing it to my door and I feel like that's that's bad for us I feel like we need to kind of exert some 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 physical effort in the world so but I think all of these things uh, 
impede our creativity uh, because they stop us from noticing things, they stop us from understanding things, and they stop us from really sharing with this, uh, and I, 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 I'm gesticulating towards the space between us across yes. this lovely wooden table, um, having real shared creative space. And I think that's probably important for well-being and resilience. So yes. that's what I want to write about. Sounds like a very good idea. I think you should do it. Right, okay. I will, I will, I will keep you posted on my, my progress, if I may. Excellent. Sounds like a guide to being a human being. A guide to being human. I like the sound of that. I might, I might borrow that if that's, if that's right. You're totally welcome. Thank you so much for your time today, JP. Thank, Thank you for that. having me. And I hope that we can we can talk again at some point in future in this in this way and and in other ways. Thank you very much, and thank you, listener, if you've made it this far. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, listener, and uh, hope to hear from you soon, listener. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye. Hi, this is Oliver again. Just before we wrap up, here's a few last words from me. You can find this and other episodes of the Eiffel Overcast on iTunes and now on Stitcher. Just search for Eiffel Overcast on either of these networks. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, then please consider writing a review. I would really, really appreciate it. You can tweet me at Eiffelover underscore, that's E-I-F-F-E-L-O-V-E-R underscore. But the best place to find my stuff is on my website, which is Eiffelover.com, E-I-F-F-E-L-O-V-E-R.com. There you'll find podcasts, blog posts, and details of upcoming events that I'm involved with. Finally, to not miss out on anything, sign up to my mailing list, which you can do from my website. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, goodbye.